This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. I used to work at a bookstore, and I remember the moment when, while in the process of shelving new books, I stumbled into the section of romance books that were distinctly adult. I had never given much thought to the existence of pornographic literature, but if a national book chain sees value in stocking it, there must be a wide market. As easy as it is to assume certain cliches, erotica, when done with thought and care, can be a positive force, whether for education or simple enjoyment. In this week's story, teller Lauren Sivak shares how a particular piece of writing helped her find confidence and safety in a young romance. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in June 2022, Second Story is proud to present the book. What do you want for Christmas? My mom asks me. A waterproof, fireproof safe, I answer. <laughs> okay, she responds. While most parents might be suspicious of a 16-year-old asking for a waterproof, fireproof safe, bristling at the privacy they were giving their teen, my parents were unfazed. And on Christmas morning, I became the proud owner of a very heavy, very sturdy, very secure, waterproof, fireproof safe. Now, you are probably far more curious than my parents. You want to know what was in that safe, don't you? After all the presents had been unwrapped, the boxes and wrapping paper shreds and big trash bags and breakfast consumed, my siblings and I were left with a free day to play with our gifts. I lug my waterproof, fireproof safe up the stairs and retreat to my bedroom. Now that I have it, I cannot wait to fill it. First my Elvis stamps, a gift from my grandma. Next, a neglected diary, then some notes from my friends, and finally, the book, my most prized possession. The book has been living underneath my mattress. I have had the book since I was 11 years old. The book used to belong to my older sister, Angela. I read the book almost every night before bed. The book is the only thing I have ever stolen. The book is a sex book. <laughs> My older sister is 11 years older than me. Despite our age difference, we were incredibly close and I would spend most weekends at her house. Nights at Angela's helped me escape from the realities of sixth grade. Middle school was not kind to me, and my big sister made me feel important at a time when I felt invisible. I looked forward to any time I could spend with Angela, who was just so cool that I thought by hanging out with her, her coolness would rub off on me. We dressed like Twinkies at the mall and baked chocolate chip cookies on the weekends. The first time I saw the book, it was nestled in a stack of books at my sister's home. Emblazoned on the jacket sleeve was the word sex. 
Now, I knew what sex was. A, a few years earlier, while brewing beer with my dad, sitting on the laminate floor of our kitchen, I asked, Dad, where do babies come from? Without hesitation, he told me, and I responded with horror and disgust, I am never doing that. And now here I am looking at a book that I know I must have. I have never wanted anything more. So yeah, when I was 11 years old, I stole my older sister's sex book. I have no regrets. I planned to steal the book the next time I was visiting, but not staying over. This would allow me to get the book out of the house and hopefully not get caught with it in my bag. My mom and I pool into the driveway, my backpack sitting on my lap. We walk in and I play it super cool while being sure to not take my backpack off my shoulders. My mom and Angela are talking in the kitchen and I say casually, I'm going to go to the bathroom. This is a perfect excuse because the bathroom is at the bottom of the stairs that lead to her bedroom. As I pass the bathroom door, I close it so they think that I'm in there. And I creep up the stairs to her bedroom. As soon as I walk in, I see the book. As I walk towards it, I slowly slip my backpack off my shoulders and unzip the large pocket. I am barely breathing as I carefully remove the book from the stack and slip it in. A moment later, I am down the stairs, stopping by the bathroom to give the toilet a flush, beaming with pride at my cleverness. On the way home, my backpack sits on my lap, but it's heavier now. For the first time in my life, I cannot wait to go to bed. My parents come in to say goodnight and they close the door behind them as they leave. I count to 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. As soon as I hit 10, I am out of my bed reaching for the backpack. I pull out the book and sit on the edge of my bed, feet barely touching the carpet underneath. At first, I just look at it. I can't believe that it is in my possession. It feels massive in my little hands. I open it up and read over the table of contents. Foreplay. Missionary. Anal sex. Oral sex for men oral sex for women, and so on. The book was not organized like other sex books. Each section would begin with a real story and then was paired with instructions. It was like, did you enjoy what you just read? Great, here's how you do it. <laughs> the lesson always came after the story, which is maybe where my love of personal narrative comes from. The other thing that made the book exceptional was that the stories were not only from the perspective of straight folks. As a curious, pretty certain that I was not straight 11-year-old, this was awesome. 
pretty soon my favorite books uh, and bedtime stories were the ones that came from the book. That night, I slept with it under my pillow. Over time, it would eventually live underneath my mattress. Until now. Now it is finally safe. I have had the book for five years. And you can tell that it has been read a lot. The book has taught me so much about sex. Aside from being a how-to manual, the book has taught me to ask questions, stay curious, and avoid assumptions about a partner's pleasures and wants. I've not had sex yet, but my secret girlfriend and I are exploring. When I say secret, I mean we were best friends who did theater and hung out after school and had summer parties on the weekends. Our parents thought we were friends and we were great friends. We just happen to also make out until we are physically exhausted every night we are together. When I spend the night at my secret girlfriend's house, we kiss and touch, both of us careful to not take things too far, to not ask for too much. But between the hours of midnight and 2 a.m., lust is woven with curiosity and fear, and neither of us know what we are doing. The hands are clumsy, and even though I am really well read, <laughs> I am often at a loss for the right words. For example, the first time she finishes, after the first time I slide my hands underneath her underwear, I ask, did your tree catch on fire? <laughs> a cat. A casual, not-so-smooth reference to the movie Pleasantville? In the movie, two teens are transported to the black-and-white world of Pleasantville. Pleasantville is seemingly perfect. There's no fire, no tragedy, no sex. There's a scene in the movie when Joan Allen's character takes a bath. She removes her robe and looks at herself in the mirror and is taken by the sight of her own naked body. She removes her robe and looks at herself in the mirror and is taken by the sight of her own body. She settles into a bath and she begins touching herself. As she reaches climax, the tree outside her house bursts into flames and color. So I ask, did your tree catch on fire? <laughs> yes, she whispers back. Between the hours of midnight and 2 a.m., my world was in vivid color. It's April, 2003, and we are starting to get more and more curious. And when we talk about sex, both of us know that we are talking about oral sex. The first plan is to wait until we are in college, which would be September 2004. That's only 17 months away, which feels totally reasonable when we say it during the daylight hours. Between the hours of midnight and 2 a.m. when there is so much heat between us that we can barely breathe and the color around us is piercingly bright, 17 months feels a lot less reasonable. Okay, new timeline. She proposes that we wait until her braces are removed, which at the time... feels like a precaution we should be taking, braces and vaginas and all that. 
That bumps us up to June 2004, which is better than September 2004, but it is still 14 months away. I just don't know how we are going to last without exploding. However, consent is essential and being on the same page and timeline is essential. So, June 2004 it is. And knowing that it will eventually come, I return to my waterproof, fireproof safe <laughs> to retrieve the book. And I read and read again and read again my favorite chapter, Oral Sex for Women. <laughs> The chapter was preceded by a story of a woman at a dinner party. Sitting across from her is a lesbian couple, and although there are boyfriends with girlfriends, wives with husbands, she can't stop thinking about these two women together. For the duration of the meal, she imagines them kissing, touching, licking each other, and wonders silently to herself, why is it every time I'm introduced to two women in a relationship, I cannot stop thinking about them fucking each other? First the story, then the lesson. <laughs> Three months later, the timeline gets adjusted. Between the hours of midnight and 2 a.m. when lust is woven with curiosity and fear, when our world is bright with color, my secret girlfriend says to me, I don't want to wait until my braces are off. And I know exactly what she is saying to me. Are you sure? I ask. I'm sure, she says. It's time. And although I am terrified, like Georgia O'Keeffe approaching a blank canvas, <laughs> I am ready. This story was produced by Ali Drum and Vic Winter, curated by Amanda Delheimer, and directed by Reshmi Hazra Rustabake, with music and sound design by Youngwoo Park and Justin Cavazos. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.